welcome to Books on the Go, a podcast where we talk about our book of the week. I'm Anna Bailey Carris and I'm here with Annie Waters. Hi, Annie. Hi, how are you doing? And our special guest, Otto. Hi, Otto. Hello. And this week we've been reading Collected Works by Lydia Sandgren, translated from the Swedish by Agnes Brume. But first, book news, and there were just a few very random bits and pieces since we last spoke, Annie. One of them is because we have followed over the years what's happening and changing with audiobooks, and I noticed uh, there's been a, a deal that Spotify has done with the major, all of the major publishers, at least in the UK, and presumably this trickles down and has a, a worldwide effect, but they've done a major deal so that I think what happens is they pay a licensing fee to the publisher and then Spotify will stream the books on its service. And so mm-hmm. I just checked and saw the fraud by Zadie Smith because I have premium Spotify. I can just press play and listen to the fraud without paying anything. Wow. Yes. Mm. So the authors, the Society of Authors and Agents, I don't know if there are two societies, but authors and agents have spoken out to express their concern because they weren't consulted. They didn't know it was happening. I think they heard about it in the press. I suppose the concern is that uh, authors receiving any income from it because the publishers yeah. might be being paid, but depending on how this is dealt with in each author's publishing contract, it may or may not deal with streaming. They might not see any income from it. I wonder whether it kind of falls under the audiobook nature of their book already if they've written, if they've kind of given permission for the book to be listed as an audiobook, but then it relies on the streaming platform to kind of pass that information back to the publisher about how many listens each book has had and whether on a case-by-case basis authors will now want to specify in their contracts that they don't or do give permission for this kind of usage. Yeah. I think the publisher said that they had done it for books where they had the right to distribute, they had the audio rights. So, Mm. and of course, these things always come down to the contract. So what does that mean to have mm. those audio rights, audio the yeah. right to do audio distribution or something. Mm. But what that means in terms of income for the author, I don't know. It's interesting. I guess it'll open up a, a raft of new considerations for future contracts or people going back and kind of rereading and re-stipulating what they'd like to do with their works. That's right. You'd want it dealt with in the contract. But it presumably if people can listen for free, effectively for free on Spotify, versus paying, what would it be, $6, $12 on Audible. That's a big difference when you times buy a number of books. So um, you wonder where the income could be Mm -hmm. generated. Whether it will pull readers of the physical book away as well, if there's a free option or effectively free, if you're already having a Spotify premium membership, you know, would you then be tempted to listen to a book that you might otherwise have gone out and bought? I don't know. That's right. I'm not really an audiobook person, I must be honest. So I'm no, still going. But the, the well, the Zadie Smith, the fraud is read by her, which would be interesting because okay. she is also a jazz singer. So she would, I think she has a great voice. Amanda said that was a good way to read the fraud, but there we go. Now, in other news, the Nobel Prize for Literature has been awarded to John Foss, who's a Norwegian author and has been published in translation by Fitzcarraldo and Giramondo. And I just mentioned that because I think Annie Erno and possibly some other 
Nobel Prize winners have been published by Fitzcarraldo. So they seem to have a good run with these global heavyweights. But he he's written the Septology series, among others, and is apparently blending an artistic way of writing traditional Norwegian stories and incorporating elements of tradition and modernism. I have not read his work, so I can't say any, but they're saying this will be bring a wider audience to his work. So um, maybe well, I know he's one to try. was on the Man Booker list last year, or perhaps the Booker in Translation list last year. It looked incredibly dense and very long, and I did not was not tempted by it. But a colleague of mine was and said she was making way through, her way through. It was quite slow going, but she was enjoying what she had read. So on that very small recommendation and the fact that he's won a Nobel Prize, you know, go out and search him out. That's it. Well, let us know if you've read anything by John Foss. And finally in news, the Adelaide Writers Week program, is not, the program itself is not out, but the headline, some of the headline authors' names have been revealed because the Adelaide Festival program came out on Tuesday this week. And so we have some fantastic, it's a really good lineup. I don't know if you've had a chance, Annie, to have a look, but locally we have Chris Cholkis, Richard Flanagan, Anna Funder, who we we read Wifedom um, recently. And then globally, there are a lot of authors from India and South Asia. And uh, Brian Washington, who wrote Memorial that we lo- well, I loved, and I think I you liked that, it. Um, that stood out to me that he was coming. Yes, from the excited. US. And Mary Beard, who's iconic, a, um, amazing classicist who can write so succinctly, so clearly in a way that even I can follow these classical stories among others were there and yeah were there any names that stood out for you definitely Chalkus because I have his new his book that's coming out next year to read which I'm excited about and Enright yes who I'd be interested to see I haven't read a book of hers since I read a book called The Red Chair and it was one of the most scarring books that I've read in my whole life and she's an incredible writer but I just have been a bit scared off um she's a great writer I I loved the gathering and I also liked the last waltz or the waltz I can't remember Mm. exactly the title but the latest one is the wren the wren which I think Mm. I'll read so let me know if you're keen on that one and I'm just remembering some other um Australian big names Melissa Lukashenko who wrote Mm. too much lip and Alexis Wright who this? Oh, who yeah. has the the Swan book is on my TBR that I've been meaning to read for years. So and Carpentaria, of course, but she's got a more recent one as well. So some big names. And then the other one that was of note, I haven't actually read any of his books, but I listened to a podcast recently with him. Is Alistair Campbell? He was a press secretary for Tony Blair. And I think around the Iraq war became, kind of became a, a figure of a public figure in his own right, even though he was just the press secretary. And I heard a podcast with him talking to uh, Elizabeth Day, who's a writer, and she has a great podcast about failure. She talks to a, a variety of people about three failures that they think have defined their life. And he was really interesting. He's had a history of poor mental health and speaks really openly about that. But then also obviously has lived a really interesting life in terms of hobnobbing with the really higher political elite and has had a really internal view of of that. So yeah, I'd be interested to hear him speak. He's not my usual kind of cup of tea, but he's written a few memoirs and kind of gone over his letters and journals from that time. He has a podcast with Rory Stewart, who's a Tory. Mm. And so they have a 
different points of view, but they disagree agreeably. Their podcast is The Rest is Politics. And yeah. I'm, I've now become addicted to the podcast since I saw that they, they were coming. And they're doing a show together in ah. Adelaide, which is a ticketed event. And then in the gardens, the obviously the main part of the Writers Week program is all free. It's really wonderful. You can just wander down. And there, his session there will be talking about mental health. So the mm. one in the town hall will be politics with Rory Stewart yeah. and then the one in the garden about mental health. But, yeah, really yeah. interesting. Oh, cool. So a good lineup. Now we should yeah. move on to our book of the week, I think. So this is Collected Works by Lydia Sandgren, translated by Agnes Brume. And I think this was recommended to me by Sean Mooney. Is that how I got onto it? And, I think so, yeah. Um, Sean, as we know, famously, if he's not enjoying a book, bails on it very quickly. And I've taken up that habit as well. So it was very high praise from him because this is really long when he said it's the, I think he said the best book he's read all year which persuaded wow. me to read it. And it was also Women in Translation Month and so on. So Lydia Sandgren is a Swedish author. Um, she studied music and philosophy and today is a practicing psychologist. She lives in Gothenburg and Collected Works is her debut novel. And it won the prestigious August Prize in 2020, has sold over 100,000 copies. And this is the English translation. And it's about Martin Berg, who is falling into crisis. Decades ago, he was an aspiring writer who had almost finished his novel and his girlfriend was the wildly intelligent Cecilia. And he was also, they were both very good friends with the up and coming artist, Gustav Becker. But then Martin, wouldn't you know it, didn't quite finish the manuscript. It's been, it's been languishing and Cecilia has actually gone missing. So she left him. He tried to find out what had happened to her and that, you know, with their two young children and she has never reappeared. And meanwhile, Gustav, fall, they've fallen out with each other somehow. And Gustav has become very successful. But Martin is sort of left stagnating, I suppose. His children are doing the best they can. So they're adults now, I think, when we begin the book. But their relationship is slightly fraught. His daughter Raquel decides that she wants to investigate what happened to Cecilia because she can't move on until she knows what happened. Why would someone leave someone they love? So that's the setup. And then it's just this whole life of Martin, Cecilia, Mar mainly Martin, and of course, Cecilia, who's absent for, for the book but she's such a feature of it. So that's a really interesting thing. And then Gustav, he's like a cameo. He comes in and out of it, but he's a real feature of their younger years. And so you do go back in time to, to when they're at university, um, when they're just beginning their lives, the world is their oyster, to the present day where they've gone in very different directions and you see the impact that has on the the young ch the children who are now young adults. And you have Raquel's point of view as well, and but we don't hear from Cecilia. So I found this really interesting and I can't wait to talk about it because there are so many 
it's on the one hand unlike anything I've read, but on the other hand, it had me thinking about so many other books as I was reading it. What did you think, Annie? I started well. So she's a great writer. I think I really enjoyed her sentences. They're very elegant, easy to read. I liked her settings. You know, I really got drawn into this world of Gothenburg in the 70s and 80s and then also in the present day. And then I think she also draws um, Paris and Antibes and Stockholm in really clear, crisp detail, you feel like you're there. And the characters too, I think, you know, she she builds up these pictures of these people. What got me down is it's 700 pages about Martinberg, who is the least interesting of the three. Yeah. And I found him in the 70s and 80s to be this pretentious jerk who was just, you know, going on and on and on about how he's going to finish his novel. He's going to be, or doesn't he decide that he's going to be a genius and then just kind of goes on from there. All the all the while, Gustav is kind of painting away in the background and having quiet mental breakdowns. And he does have genuine talent, but is hard to wrangle into doing the actual work rather than just going out and drinking all the time and Um, going on benders and then Cecilia who's fascinating character and I really wanted to know more about her you know having grown up in um, was Ethiopia you know she's a marathon runner she is also an artist but has kind of hidden that part of herself or decided not to pursue her visual art instead she's a thinker and a philosopher highly intelligent really funny kind of fits in with this duo of Gustav and Martin really well in a way that perhaps not many other people could have. And then we just keep hearing from Martin. <laughs> go on and on and on. And I don't know, I just feel like I wanted I wanted to know more about all the other characters. And so I'm interested to know why. I mean, it's obviously a choice that she's chosen to stay with Martin who didn't make something of himself while the other two were arguably more successful and interesting. And then once we kind of get halfway through the novel, Raquel's voice starts coming through a bit more and... I was interested to know, you know, will we get to meet Cecilia? Will we hear from her? Will Raquel solve the problem of what's happened to her? But yeah, it, I, I finished it only to know the answer to those questions, but I did not enjoy it. I began to resent it, unfortunately. <laughs> so I'm interested to hear what you did enjoy about it because I think then thinking about it, you know, there were things that I really thought about during, but I just kept thinking, God, I don't want to go back and talk to Martin Becker again. No, he was terrible. Yeah, so how did you survive it and enjoy it in spite of him? The writing just kept compelling me onwards mm. and I found it so interesting why why she was focusing on mm. him. It was a bit satirical in terms of that classic. He decided he'd sit down and finish the novel. So he first got the desk ready and then he yes. had to get the right paper and then he decided he needed a cigarette and then he did, you know, and that classic thing of, anything but the actual work, you know. So there was that bit of satire of that, the artistic process and the procrastination and the fact that actually there's no mystique about it. It's just Mm. hard work that you have to do. Mm. And Cecilia was all over that and she was a a worker and he had all these pretentious ideas about being an artiste and being a genius and whereas Cecilia just got on with it and was, you know, much more successful. And their relationship was interesting. I couldn't understand why she would want to be with him. That no, was, that... me neither, especially when he goes off to Paris and leaves her alone for six months or however long it is and then comes back and she's in this depression and he kind of doesn't really notice. He just shows up at her flat and keeps sifting through it. I don't know. I think one of the things that frustrated me about him was that he had these great people in his life 
And I think he don't, he didn't actually know how to relate to people. So he never, you know, Gustav's obviously going off the rails and they're meant to have this great friendship, but he never asks him any questions or he didn't actually know anything about him at all, you know. So you could see why he'd kind of dropped off the radar for each other. I just loved the the intricacy of it, the idea that a bit like I think it was at one stage compared with Eleanor Ferrante, but that idea of being a fly on the wall that really intricate the way she can describe how things happen and you get that detail so as long as you're prepared to really immerse yourself it's a really immersive book I think so for example uh, Martin sighed and twirled the pen between his fingers the difficulty was to strike the right note in the letter cheerful but not insincere truthful but not nagging at first, he wrote far too much about the colic and the sleepless nights and the publishing company that was unlikely to make it past next year. Then he tried excising all the self-pity, but that made the letter dry and sterile. And just that, that's just a, a, a example I picked at random, not a, like my favourite part of the book, but it's very interior for those sort of sections. But you yes. get that real sense of being with someone for this whole journey. So a little bit like The Hummingbird by Sandro Veronese, which I really liked. Of the great circle a little bit, just you know, a saga, a big story. We're going back and forward in time. There's kind of this mystery of what happens to this person. But yeah, it was more just the drudgery of living with Martin Berg for all that time. I think also I must say I had to read it in kind of five or six page chunks, and I do not think that's how to read this book. So yeah, yeah. we've definitely shortened the amount of time that I have each day to read a book and going back to this one and kind of having to pick it back up again, have another 15 minutes with Martin Berg and then put it down again. I think I probably would have done better if I could just breeze through it a bit more, whereas yeah. it did feel like a drudge. Um, I think so. I I also thought it was quite rich. She's There are so many references woven into it literary references art references the punk music scene in Gothenburg in the 70s and 80s you know you really felt like she'd lived that or had done her research yeah it gave you a very much an idea of a place and time it, I think if you were from Sweden especially you know you'd find it really rich because there's lots of kind of intertextual references and I get the sense that Gothenburg is not the kind of city that's written about in this way very often yeah. so it's kind of like writing a big saga novel set in Adelaide you'd feel a very much like hometown pride of like, oh, I know that street. I know this place. I know this place. <laughs> so, yeah, I really did enjoy the places and the people and some of the set pieces. You know, it was just the length of it, I think, and and the fact that, yeah, Martin took up 80% of the novel. Too much Martin. Too much Martin. Way but too Mike, much you, Martin. I, I am intrigued, as you say, about that choice because it was a conscious choice to do it from Martin's point of view. So I've it was quite provocative almost, wasn't it? Because, because one we're of the really interested in Cecilia. There's something about a story of motherhood and... I loved this smart and subtle exploration of modern motherhood and womanhood. That was Daisy Buchanan. Because I didn't get the motherhood part at all, really. Yeah, I just wanted to read Cecilia's point of view. For me, it was more about friendship, class, I guess families in general. Martin makes an adequate father after having been a kind of mediocre artist. Well, it's it's an alternative look at motherhood. What about the yes. sort of motherhood where, for whatever reason, the mother takes herself away, you know, yeah, to look after sure. herself? Not a, not a character that you see very often in literature. And that's why I wanted to hear more about her. But because by omission, 
you know, I guess that that's what creates the suspense. It was, I think, as you say, very long. So it was a challenge from that point of view, but I, I found it really stimulating. So I enjoyed it, although could have had less Martin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think dip so into it. You're not in the first 50 pages if you're going to enjoy it or not. Yeah. So that was Collected Works by Lydia Sandgren, translated by Agnes Brume. Let us know if you've read it and what you thought. Yeah, I also, I liked that bit about being with the art monster, the art monster theme as well, because he was almost the art monster himself, even though he wasn't producing anything yeah. as such. You know, it was all about him. But I guess she's also the realisation of that art monster where she can't, do motherhood and art. So she has to choose and she chooses art, which is unusual. So I've, I've done, found it very thought-provoking, but that's all from us today. And next week, I'm not sure what we're doing, but Annie will be in touch. Stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at Books on the Go, email us at booksonthegopodcast at gmail.com. And I'm on Instagram at a Bailey Karras and Annie at Mr underscore Annie. Perfect. We'll see you next week. Bye for now.